25th of August 2017. Modern Technology Owes Ecology and Apology. Helen N. Edison. I slept later than usual this morning, probably because I spent most of yesterday afternoon painting the back of the house. I fell to sleep on a sofa last night, exhausted. One of the major decisions that we have made in our lives is that when something needs to be done to the house, the usual dilapidations, etc., we should try to do it ourselves. We like to think that this is driven by our new way of life, but the fact is that we cannot afford the luxury of paying for people to do things for us. Although we know that there is an argument for keeping the money circulating, I was taught as a child the importance of employment being found for everyone. I so want to live in a world where everyone has enough. In a world where everyone, the opportunity to live as we do. But our happiness isn't built on money and stuff. We truly do work very hard, but we do it together for our common good and I hope for the good of others, that our lives path bring us to cross. Today is Saturday and later this morning I shall paint a bit more of the back of the house. This autumn it is a bit of a quick fix. We have a lot of seriously down to the wood patches on the window frames. It is my job this autumn to find them, sand them, undercoat them and gloss them before the winter sets in. If the wood starts to rot we will certainly not be able to replace the window frames. I am doing the bottom of the house and David will do the top of the house. I don't like heights. This afternoon I will be taking Johnty and Rosie and Cynthia down to the allotments where we will weed out the beds and the polytunnel and pick and harvest vegetables. There are runner beans ready and French beans, kale, marrows, leeks and whatever else is now ready. Since we were there a couple of days ago, Cynthia is a a young woman who lives with us under a shared life scheme run by the social services. She has a learning disability and we consider Cynthia a member of our family. And she will live with us for as long as she is happy to. The shared life scheme is wonderful and enables people who have no one to care for them and are vulnerable to find a permanent and secure home and to develop a sense of belonging. We thoroughly recommend it. By now you will be getting an idea of how large, how wonderful family really is. I've gone on a bit about what I am doing and you are probably wondering what David is doing. No, he is not sitting under a tree playing a guitar, although he would like to be, or up a tree writing poetry. You may be asking yourself why he is not painting the house or going to the allotment. We usually all go down on a Saturday afternoon as a family. The reason he is not going with us is because of a series of events that happened to us at the beginning of the year. It all started in late winter. I must explain first that every bedroom in the house used to have an ensuite bathroom. This was necessary because I used to run a bed and breakfast facility here at the Rise. However, over the years, as our family have grown, we've gradually converted the bathrooms into extra bedrooms. For instance, Marsha's bedroom has now a room which used to be his bedroom when his brother Tom still lived at home. He then slept in the adjoining room, which Marshall now uses as his bedroom. This has made it possible for Marshall to have a study where he has his desk and computer stuff. 
He does his homework and entertains all of his young friends in this room, which has become his study. He also bought, we also bought him a second-hand red leather sofa, which we got online thanks to Nikki, who found it and whom you will hear more of later. She found it on a recycle site and he absolutely loves it. Here in this den he studies and, as I have said before, congregates with all of his friends. It was one early evening and he was sitting at his desk working when suddenly there was a plop and from his ceiling fell a large rat. Now we are a family that loves all creatures. We don't like killing flies even. Marsha's reaction was to shoot out of his chair, almost at the speed of light, shouting a rat at the top of his lungs. Once in his bedroom, he slammed his adjoining door until we reached him. David guessed what had happened. There had been a leak in that corner of Marshall's den the winter before, which David had fixed, but obviously had left a soft patch in the corner of the room, just above Marshall's desk. Rattus Norvetigus, as he correctly called, had been quietly chewing through the ceiling. This was a dilemma for us all. We knew that we had rats near the chicken, Nicky had told us, and we had sort of accepted this was inevitable. Chickens do attract rats. We have now since altered our way of feeding by hanging the feeder above the old green plastic turtle sandpit that the children used to play with. We hang it just high enough for the chickens to reach and feed from, and any food that falls out of the feeder is not scratched all over the run, but collects in the base of the turtle. At night we take the feeder off the hook and store it in a metal lady dustbin. We then put the lid of the turtle sandpit firmly onto the base. Before this, we were leaving a veritable buffet of food out with all sorts of chicken goodies, which we hastily removed when we realised the scale of the problem. The rats even managed to chew a hole in the side of the green plastic turtle, desperately trying to find food, after we had removed the buffet. But we finally knew that the rats had gone when the chewing had stopped. The rat problem was much more serious than we had realised. Nikki, who puts them to bed at night and feeds them all to them, said she'd seen up to 15 during the day and how sweet they were. When she went down to feed the chickens, they would run and hide, peeping out at her, thinking they couldn't be seen, like children do when they hide, only to come out again to steal the chicken food when she'd left. The chickens were looking thinner. Something had to be done. We had a female rat in Marshall's study, and now we had started to think about it. We had been hearing noises from the attic, which we thought were bats or mice. The decisions that had to be made regarding the situation presented a problem for us. We did not like killing any creature, no matter how reviled it may be. As in the case of the much-hated rat, we knew we had other responsibilities such as the health and well-being of our children and the neighbours, and the rats clearly were not going to go away just by asking them. The fact is, they breed at an alarming rate, and they do not have many predators that can outwit them. They appear to run a very well-organised society, and are clever. The rat that fell into Marshall's den was, as it turned out, a female. She almost immediately aborted seven undeveloped embryos, 
embryos and it was clear that she had obviously been trying to get into the house out of the freezing cold in order to have and nurse her babies. We did the only socially responsible thing that we could do. We rang our local district council who in turn sent two men who were experts and were well accustomed to the problem. I wonder, as I write this, whether you, my dear great-grandchildren, have the problem with rats that our experts predicted that you would have. It apparently is our own fault, because people have become horribly addicted to fast food, and the remnants are just discarded, left thrown into the hedgerows or into bins, or left on the pavements and roads. I really hope that you are lifting your eyebrows in surprise at this, or maybe long ago for you, fast food became extinct. Hopefully people will have realised that it caused the infamous obesity crisis that exploded in the early 21st century and that you and your generation will have revised your diets drastically. Well, the appropriate people came to us and gave us professional advice regarding the rats. Down came the beautiful Virginia creeper that clad the house. Luckily, it's growing back up now that the rats have gone. The hen house was reorganised, old, unused animal quarters were dismantled, and all harbourage, such as piles of unused timber, tarpaulins and toys no longer used, were disposed of with locked rat boxes set in appropriate places. After six weeks, the rats packed up and left, much to the birds' relief. They hadn't been fed for six weeks either. My three tame crows appeared to disappear altogether, much to my sorrow, we just had to devise a way of feeding them that could be brought in during the day and would prevent them scattering their food all over the garden. We have to get that right before this winter sets in. The birds that visit our garden have been doing so for generations and will find it difficult to cope this winter without our bird food stations. Well, you will be thinking... How did this all lead to why David isn't helping with the painting and the allotment? One day he decided it was time to burn some of the unusual wood and unrecyclable cut toys. Now I must say that David is the most responsible bonfire maker I know. He takes no chances, making sure that a bonfire is never lit anywhere near the various outhouses or the chicken compound. After an afternoon of responsible burning, he made sure that the fire was down to dying embers and came into the house for a rest and a cup of tea. Within five minutes or even less, Jaunty came in shouting, Daddy, Daddy, the shed's on fire. David shot out of his seat and ran full pelt through the garden. Sure enough, the shed was well ablaze and David grabbed the hose shouting, Call the fire brigade, call the fire brigade. He, in the meantime, had turned on the water, only to find the water pressure couldn't have been lower that early evening. He ran down through the nut walk, past the chicken house, whilst trying to douse what was now becoming a raging inferno with a low-pressure dribble from a limp old garden hose. There were many treasures stored in this very large shed, including a vintage silver cross baby pram, lots of expensive tools and a seriously good, solid workbench, My heart sank. There were old Victorian garden tools, none of which could be replaced. By now the children were howling, worrying about the chickens. We were all worrying about. 
they had huddled in the furthest extreme of the compound as far away from the fire as they could get. Nicky and I both rang the fire brigade and we could tell by the smiles on the children's faces that they had heard them coming. Jaunty ran upstairs to get his farmer's uniform on. We met the farmer near the side gates of the house, who, upon seeing the size of the fire, immediately called for more help from two nearby towns. By this time, a second tool shed was alight, and two magnificent trees went up with it. The fire was moving up towards the house, and David was down there somewhere. My heart was in my mouth. I suddenly saw him and realised he was all right. The firemen had taken over. Nicky and I decided that we were going to go in to rescue the chickens. Marshall organised an old cage we had on the terrace near the house. One by one we got everyone off of them out and into the cage. It was a bit cramped but they were safe. Another five minutes we couldn't have done it because the fire moved up and burnt down another shed where all of my craftings were stored. Taking another two trees which were covered in ivy with it. The roar was terrifying, but the firemen were winning. They doused the path of the fire to stop it reaching the schoolroom and then the house. Their hoses were pretty impressive. Hours later, the fire was under control. The firemen had a cup of tea while the children introduced them to Mrs. Dewhurst, chief and most beloved hen. She was busy organising the cramped space that her girls were in. The firemen waited until they were satisfied that we were no longer in any danger and said they would call back later. They did, and they also came back again the following morning. The next day, very early in the morning, David and I walked down to inspect the devastation. Everything was gone. The most distressing thing were the trees. I like to think that I have an environmentalist heart and I felt very sad and very guilty at failing to protect them. I was a little relieved when the farmer told us that two of them were quite dead anyway and were in fact quite dangerous. God works in mysterious ways. I like to think that you, my great-great-grandchildren, have many more trees now. Conservation organisations such as the Woodland Trust are managing woodlands and working very hard to protect and restore as much forestation as they can. It is hard to believe that only 600 years ago, most of Britain was covered in trees, like the majestic oak and yew. So mighty are these trees that a lot of them are still alive in my time. Most of the work that is done to save the few woodlands that remain is done by volunteers and the trees bought with money, raised by charity, givings. Some conscientious builders have implemented replanting schemes and if they have to remove trees for their building plans, will replant mature trees in some other suitable place. Some conservationists think that this should become law as the trees are so important to our very existence. As I read this book, we are now in 2020 and today, this very day, I read in the Daily Mail that we now got 42 new forests are going to be planted in this country. And I'm so happy to have read that. Some years ago, a very special friend commissioned the building of a wooden rocking horse for Carla, Tom and Marshall when they were little. It was made out of cherry wood. Um, 
by, by the rocking horse making firm called Wilkinson's. When it arrived, it was stunningly beautiful and so well made, and it came with a young cherry tree sapling for us to plant, and with instructions on how to care for it as a replacement for the tree that had been felled and used to make the toy rocking horse. We duly planted the tree, and today it sits at the front of the house, a strong tree, blooming every spring to delight us all. This lovely area has a wealth of magnificent trees, and I truly wish that all communities could be surrounded by trees. They apparently cleanse the air of a lot of pollution, and with the ability to photosynthesize, they provide oxygen and remove carbon dioxide. Plants and trees are perfect partners for animal life as well as for us. We have near us a wonderful woodland which the children and I regularly use, ancient beach woods that whisper of many scenes and times they've witnessed, and well-kept secrets of historical events that we will never know of. Locally, we have a growing force of good community-spirited people who tirelessly work to keep areas free of rubbish left behind or fly-tipped by people who do not understand the damage they are doing to themselves. Their children and their children's children, and so on. Our government is at last becoming aware, and only the other day I read in my paper that two fly-tippers had been sent to prison. The policy was to fine the perpetrators, but if you have the money to pay the fine, that is not going to stop this antisocial behaviour. Most, I think, it is ignorance that causes people to do it. We need all of us to be better informed, making sure we are planting woods and copses all the time. I hope that we manage to stem the tide of all those trees that are being felled now, and that you are enjoying the delights of woodland walks with your children in your time in the future. Back to the now and the far on our land, we now know the cause of it, Apparently, at some distance from the fire, the first large shed that went up was storing several half-empty paintings. It was a hot day anyway, and the heat of the fire that David lit, although some distance away, was ferocious, and the paint in the tins got hotter and hotter and rose to ignition point, where it spontaneously ignited. We have learned a big lesson. Paint should be stored in a safer way. I'm closing this for today and I'm going to collect Carla, my daughter, from the train station. This a bank holiday weekend and she's been to the lakes. Good night for now. I so enjoy talking to you. This is going to be such fun. Cathedral. Let the morning be our spar crossed in clouds and the steel of the early sun. And let us follow the rising fire into the deep wood where warm fingers play this place where no chance rail can hold your bold choir where dead leaves chorus sacrifice and sap falls like tears and drains the cup where inspired light drifts through the beech arch to stain the leaves with colour it is here where the figures come to life the living liquid glass drips through the centuries and thickens since Cecilia's toes. That's one of David's, my partner's poems.